The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Open your hearts. So in those years, there was one summer, one summer, that I actually went to Camp Naram for sleepaway camp. I was a counselor there in Camp Naram. This particular camp is found... Pennsylvania. You're going, Pennsylvania. Oh, it's a good years. It's good years. For five years, I was in Camp Shifte. And one summer, <laughs> I have to say this on one tape, while he hits us, I'm dead. And one summer, I was in Camp Nora. That summer, we decided to put together a hockey team. We wanted to play against Camp Shifte because Camp Shifte had one of the best hockey teams in the mountains. Anybody who knows the Wallersteins, you understand that some of the Wallersteins actually came out of their mother with roller skates on. So... They were hockey players by birth, so we wanted to play them. I myself, who went to Camp Shifte for many years, I wanted to bring back a team and play the old rivalry. It turns out, and Hashemayim, the way Hashem had it, that I had emergency in the family, and I didn't end up making this game. But the rest of the team, all the guys took off. Now they're counselors, right? And you know, in sleepboy camp, the counselor gets a day off once a week. So the entire hockey team, all the counselors on the hockey team, they all took off on the same day, and they were going to take the camp van to drive from Pennsylvania across the mountains all the way up to Livingston Manor to go to Camp Shifte to play against some hockey. And it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. This was a big game. And we actually thought we could give a shot at this. And although I wasn't there that day, I was in Brooklyn, I was back in New York that day for a family emergency, but the entire hockey team gets inside this off-day van, and they're driving through the mountains of Pennsylvania on their way to upstate New York. As the van was coming alongside the road, making its way down one of the mountains in Pennsylvania, the van takes a turn, and at the last second, from the other side of the curb, the truck turns and comes right at the off-day van, head-on, face-to-face. The country road on the side of this mountain was so narrow that there wasn't room for a van and a truck to fit on both lanes of the road. So when the truck came around the bend, the driver of the off-day van saw it at the last second, literally upon impact. And at that moment, the driver instinctively had to make a split-second decision. Does he turn left? And then the van goes off the side of the mountain and falls way down into a valley? Or does he go up to the right and he slaps up against the side of the mountain, the wall of the mountain, getting kind of sandwiched in between the wall of the mountain and the truck? He opted for shot for option two. He makes a right, turns really hard to the right, and the off-day van slaps up against the side of the mountain, comes off and hits the truck, and in midair flips and comes down on the side on the asphalt on the concrete, and the door of the van opens in midair. And while, and gentlemen, I got to do this for you slow motion, as the van hits up against the wall of the mountain and flips midair as it's coming down onto the concrete, the side door of the off-day van opens, and one guy flies out 20 feet into the air. A guy by the name of Avrami, a very close friend of mine. And then he comes right down on the concrete, motionless, out cold, 
unconscious. It's a terrible accident. Nobody thought there would be survivors. Miraculously, when they made their way over to the van on its side, which at that point was basically just metal and broken glass, the guys climbed out of the van, the entire hockey team climbed out of the van one by one. And some minor scratches, some minor bruises, but miraculously, including the driver, all the guys, everybody came out basically untouched. Three scratches, but nothing of what it could have been. However, that one boy, Avrami, who flew out of the van when the van flipped in the air off the side of the mountain, still lays unconscious on the concrete. All the guys run up to Avrami and they start kind of shaking him, which is not what you're supposed to do. But they start kind of shaking him and they scream, Avrami, you're right. What happened? Wake up. And he's laying there motionless. They call the cops. After a few minutes, the police come. They realize that Rumi was really in bad shape, unconscious. No matter what they did, they could not revive him. So they brought in one of those helichoppers, one of those medevac, exactly, that kind of picked him up off the side of the mountain and by helicopter flew Avrami into New York City from Pennsylvania to one of the top hospitals. And Avrami's laying there motionless. His parents were called. I remember that night coming back to camp after that bad accident. I remember the entire camp. I mean, all bunks, literally, from, from the little kids all the way up to the CITs. Everybody. Everybody was in the shul. I came back that night from Brooklyn. I found the camp in, in Tishabav, in Echa. I walked in there. Everybody was crying. Everybody knew Avram. He was a great guy. And everybody heard that his life is hanging by a thread. And he's laying motionless in a hospital in New York City. And nobody knows if he's going to make it. They started saying he had blood on the brain. All terrible, ter terrible things. Avrami's parents that night came to the hospital. And Avrami's parents were told by the doctors the following. If he doesn't wake up in the near future, the longer he stays unconscious, the less chance he has to live. You guys got to pray that he comes to and that he wakes up. And that's all we had to hear. That's all we had to hear. For the rest of the summer, guys, the Tehillim that they said after Shafrit every morning, the Tehillim that the guys read at night, extra Mishnayot, extra learning. I mean, camp, camp did everything they could for any Zichut and every, any, any power of prayer to be able to have some Zichut to bring this kid back, to get Avrami to wake up. But the summer came and the summer went. The summer was over. And Avrami still laid motionless, unconscious, in a hospital in New York City. And you know how it is at the end of the summer. Everyone becomes really close, like a big family. But then it comes the day that everybody has to say goodbye. And everybody goes their own ways back into the year. And at that point, many of us forgot, or maybe wasn't as focused, on poor Avrami, sitting yet still in the hospital, 30 to 35 days later, still unconscious. And as the clock ticked, his chances to live got less and less and less. It was now a week before Rosh Hashanah, and Avrami's father decided he has to do something. Every single day, Avrami's father would come to his bedside, he would say to Yilim, and he would turn to his son literally with tears and cry, Avrami, please, wake up. Wake up, come back to us, Avrami, wake up. And he laid emotions. Finally came to the point, his father was going out of his mind. His father said, I can't. Continue to just sit here and do nothing. I got to do something for my son. He decided that that morning, he calls up a travel agent. He buys a ticket to Israel. 
I'm going to Eretz Yisrael, even for a day or two. I, I, I'm going to go to the Kotel. I'm going to dive into the Rebbein Yisraelim. I'm going to beg Borei Olam, please give me my son back. That afternoon, he's on his way to JFK. That evening, he's on a flight to Israel. Next morning, he lands. He jumps into a taxi, Ben-Gurion Airport, and he tells the driver, take me straight to the wall. Take me straight to the Kotel. He's sitting there with a suitcase. Take me straight, no hotels. Take me straight to the Kotel. I'm here on a mission. I got to save my son. Taxi driver takes him to Yerushalayim. He gets out with his suitcase. He walks up to the Kotel. Guys, open your hearts. Walks up to the Kotel. He puts his hands on the wall. That when you touch it, it touches you. And it moves him. And he starts to cry like a father cries on a son. And he starts to say to Helim, and he says, Abba, please, I'm begging you, give me my Avrami back. Please save his life. Let him wake up. As he's davening and he's crying, a guy walks up to him, random, total random, and puts his hand on his shoulder. And he says to him, I see you're crying. Can I help you? What are you going through? And he says, I'll tell you. It's funny how sometimes you could just let out all your worries to somebody you never met. And he tells him the whole story about his son and the off-day van and how it hit the wall, flipped in the air, door opens, Avrami flies out, everybody else doesn't. He's unconscious and his life is hanging by a thread. The man says to him, listen, I don't know if you believe in Sadiqim or not, but there's a big Sadiq that lives right here in Meisharim. He lives in this small hole in the wall. He's a tzaddik that people come from all over the world just to get his blessing. He's like a Baruch HaKodesh. He's an unbelievable tzaddik. His name is Rav Cheshen. Zechet tzaddik lebracha. I want to bring you to Rav Cheshen. I want you to get a blessing from him. He says, okay. What do I have to lose? He goes out with the man. They jump into a taxi. They come to the small streets of Meir Sha'arim. They drive down this little alleyway. There's a hole in the wall. Avrami's father walks up to the door and he tells him, this is the place. Just go in. He knocks on the door, and he hears a voice that says, Pumarain, come in. He walks inside. There's a small little room. There was a table, a chair, a mattress on the floor, and an icebox. Now, we're not talking about telephones here. An icebox. Avrami's father walks up, and he sees a rabbi sitting behind the desk, and he had the deepest of blue eyes. The rabbi was sitting and learning. For a moment, the rabbi looks up and smiles at Avrami's father. And he motions to him to come and sit down in front of him. And then he looks up at Avrami's father and says, I was waiting for you. Baruch Haba, welcome to Eretz Yisrael. Avrami's father looks at the tzaddik, you're waiting for me? <laughs> what do you mean you're waiting for me? I just landed this morning. How are you waiting? You didn't even know I was coming. Tzaddik says, I was waiting for you. I'm happy you finally made it here to me. The tzaddik looks at Avrami's father and says, no, so how's your son? Avrami's father says, why, one second. Okay. All right. Okay. I get it. So, Rabbi, if you're asking me about my son, that means you know what's going on. Please, can you give me a blessing that my son will live, that he'll wake up? And the rabbi has a big smile and says, tell me, what happened to your son? And Avrami's father says, well, I'll tell you the story. He was in the off-day van with all the guys. And they were driving through the mountains and they were coming down this narrow road and it was on the side of a mountain and came around the bend of truck. And at the last second, the guy turned to the right and the van hit up the wall and it flipped and the door opened and my son flew out and he fell on the concrete and he's unconscious ever since. That's what I know, Rabbi. 
the rabbi looks at Avrami's father and says, where was your son sitting in the van? He says, where was my son sitting in the van? My son was sitting in the back row. The rabbi looks at Avrami's father and says, doesn't that not make sense to you? If your son was sitting in the back row of the van and the side door of the van opens as it flipped in the air after it came off the side of the mountain, wouldn't the guy sitting by the door be the guy to fly out? How come your son in the back row in the last seat of the van from everyone in the van be thrown out except anyone else? Why did he fly out? Why nobody else? Avrami's father sitting there and said, I, I, I never thought of that. You're right. If anything, the guy that should have fell out was the guy sitting by the door, not the guy sitting in the back of the van. Rabbi Cheshen looks at Avrami's father and says, now I'm going to tell you the real story. At that moment, when the van hit up against the side of the wall and it flipped and the door opened, Shamayim in heaven, they were judging the life of every single guy inside that van. Who's going to walk out and who's not? And at that moment in Shamayim, you know what the first thing they look at at a guy at the moment that he's being judged in a situation of danger? You know what the Gemara says in Eruvin? Bishat Ritcha? At the time of anger? At the time of danger? You know what the first thing Shamayim wants to know when they come to judge a guy? Is he wearing a pair of tzitzit? And the rabbi said to Avrami's father, he said at that moment, they went through every single seat in the van, every single guy in the hockey team. And every guy on that team was wearing a pair of tzitzit, except for your son. And that's why when the van hit up against the side of the wall of the mountain and flipped in the air and the door opened, not the kid sitting next to the door and not the kid sitting next to him, but some kid in the back row of the van literally got thrown out of the van because he was the only one that didn't have a shmira on him. He wasn't wearing a pair of tzitzit. The rabbi turns to Avrami's father. And by the way, I heard this story from Avrami himself. And the rabbi says to Avrami's father, I'm going to show you now that I was waiting for you. And he opens up the drawer and he pulls out a pair of tzitzit. And he hands it to the father and he says, this is a regular pair of tzitzit. I want you to go back to America as soon as you can. I want you to go directly to the hospital where your son is laying unconscious. I want you to call up the doctors. I want you to call up your family members. I want you to call the uncles and the aunts and everybody. And I want everyone to see a Kiddush Hashem of the power of one small mitzvah. Put these tzitzit on your son and tell him that the rabbi said, don't you ever take off these pair of tzitzit again. From his father that night, back to Ben Gurion Airport, jumps on a plane, flies back to the United States, lands the next morning, literally lands, hits the concrete, running. In the airport, he starts making 20 phone calls. He calls his wife, he calls his friends, he calls his family, everybody, meet me by the hospital. And he tells his wife, please, call the doctors and tell them this is an emergency, we want to meet him at Avrami's room as quick as possible. I'm on the way there from the airport, I'll meet you there, I'll be there half hour. And with that, Avrami's father's off to the hospital. He comes to the hospital, he walks in, the room is packed with people. Everyone, what's going on? What's going on? What's the, what's the emergency? 
Nothing changed. Nothing happened. He's sitting there. He's laying unconscious. What's the deal? And Rami's father walks in and he smiles at the doctor and he thanks him for coming. And he looks at his wife and he looks at everybody there. And he says, everybody, please, I want to show you what it means to be a Jew. What it means to have the gift of one mitzvah. A mitzvah that people think is small. From his hand luggage, he pulls out the pair of tzitzit that the rabbi gave him. And he starts to dress the tzitzit as he slips it over Avrami's head, lying in bed, unconscious. He pulls down the two back tzitzit on the back of Avrami, and he straightens out the front tzitzit in front of him as he lays in bed, unconscious. And the room is silent. Nobody is moving, let alone breathing. And all eyes are on the bed of Avrami. And the father closes his eyes and says, please, Borevalam, I promise you he'll never take it off again. Please, please give me my son back. And just then he hears his wife shriek, shriek. She says, I saw his pinky move. I saw his pinky move. The doctor said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw his pinky move. His pinky started to flutter. His fingers a little bit, just a little bit started to flutter. The doctor starts saying, oh my God. The kid's moving. The kid's moving and he's starting to shuffle. He's moving in bed. After a few minutes, Avrami opens his eyes. He looks at his father and he says what any good kid would say when there's a room of 50 people standing around him. What's going on? What's going on? What's the deal? Where's everybody? What's, what's, what, why is everybody looking? His father jumps on him and gives him a hug and he's crying. And he says to him, Avrami, Make me a promise. Never take off this pair of tzitzit again. Because this pair of tzitzit is your spiritual bulletproof vest. That Shomer, a Jew, protects you, watches you every step of the way. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.